Good morning and welcome to the Female Financial Views. My name is Helen Morrissey and I am the London Sales Director at Quilt Achieve Now, before we get into everything today, I'm just going to briefly run through a little bit of housekeeping. So on your screen, you'll see all the engagement tools are resizable and they're movable. So you're welcome to move them around to get the most out of your monitor space. If you have any questions during the event, and I would encourage them, um, please submit them through the Q&A box. And also there is a book a meeting tool, which allows you to book a one-to-one -one meeting following this session. If you require CPD, you can download your CPD certificate as soon as you have met the requirement, which is a 30 minute requirement for listening to us. A certificate icon will appear in the tool window, allowing you to download your certificate straight away. The icon will open with a certificate as a PDF and a new browser tab, just in case you can't see it. And lastly, a recording will be available after the event concludes and can be accessed using the same audience link that was sent to you at the point of registration. So that's all as far as the housekeeping is concerned. So we're going to get into what we're discussing today, which, as you may be aware, currently we're still in October, nearly November, but it is October is World Menopause Awareness Month, a topic which was previously deemed really sensitive and taboo to speak about publicly. However, through Quilt Achievement's Female Financial View series, we would like to start raising awareness on the challenges that are faced personally, professionally and financially during menopause. Today, we will be discussing not just the financial side, but I'm delighted to say we will also be discussing the health side. And I feel very honoured that we've got Dr. Dawn Harper, who you probably recognise if you've watched Embarrassing Bodies before. Um, and I have to say, Dawn is a great advocate when it comes to talking about menopause. Also on the screen today, we have Vanessa Eve, who is Quilt Achievement's very own investment manager. So, Dr. Dawn, please can I come to you first? Now, normally I would give somebody a, a biography at the start uh, when introducing them. However, I thought it'd be more important to hear your background from you. And why is it so important for you to be discussing menopause? So, Dr. Dawn, over to yourself. Bless you. Well, first of all, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to be part of this. Um, Perfect timing, as you say, World uh, Menopause Awareness Month, uh, and a really important topic to talk about. So, uh, yes, um, my name is Dr. Harper. I'm an NHS GP and have been for uh, nearly 30 years now, actually. Uh, and then for the first 10 years of my general practice career, I was the only female partner in a seven-partner practice. So I inevitably saw a lot of women's health. Um, it's a field of medicine that I've always been interested in. And I'm glad to say I've now got three other lady doctors working with us, but I still do see a lot of women's health. And as a now, I think, post-menopausal, just woman, uh, I've also got a little bit of personal experience as well as professional experience on this subject. So I think it's a really great topic to be talking about. I'm, I'm told that the fastest growing demographic in the UK today is working perimenopausal or postmenopausal women. So you know it's it, <laughs> there's a lot of us out there um, and we need to to make sure that we look after ourselves and that those around us know what's going on as well. I'm going to say that um, so for the first 10 years of, of my general practice I saw a lot of women's health and I can we say I probably didn't do a single surgery without seeing a perimenopausal woman who wanted to just discuss the pros and cons of HRT. I'm sure many of us will remember that at the turn of this century, we had the Million Women's Study and the Women's Health Initiative uh, and some very frightening, scary tabloid headlines, which meant that actually 
women just stopped coming in. Honestly, it was like switching off the tap. So we know that three out of four ladies have symptoms associated with the perimenopause, many of them quite severe, actually, and impacting on quality of life. So one in four lucky ladies will just sail through, stop their periods and know nothing more about it. But those women, that, that figure hasn't changed. It didn't change because of those headlines. But what we found was that women stopped making appointments. They decided that HRT was the devil incarnate um, because of these awful headlines and women stopped coming in. I'm glad to say that the pendulum is swinging back. Uh, we've had some high-profile people, certainly uh, Davina McCall, Lorraine Kelly, being very open about their menopausal experience. And I think that has helped. Um, I don't agree with everything Davina says, but she definitely, I think, has got people talking about the menopause. Uh, and I am now seeing women coming back in through surgery door, at least to have the conversation. And I think that's really important. I'm sure we'll get into this. It's, you know, it's not HRT or nothing. Um, and HRT is an umbrella term for an awful lot of different products. So I often refer to managing a lady's menopause to choosing a little black dress. So what I say is uh, what might look great on you may just wouldn't work for me. And equally, what I think looks really great today may not suit me in a year's time or in 10 years' time. So managing an individual's menopause is a very personal and individual experience. And I see my job as a GP to give you all the pros and cons, the facts and figures, uh, and help you to make the right decision uh, for you. Um, so I think, um, I'm hoping, I'm not going to take a lot of time to about me because actually I'm, I'm hoping we're going to have a lot of opportunity for interaction so that we can really debunk some of the myths, answer any questions. One, one thing I would say is there is no such thing as a stupid question. Uh, often the stupid questions are the most difficult ones to answer and uh, whether you are a menopausal woman or whether you are working with a menopausal woman, living with a menopausal woman, fond of a menopausal woman, I think it's really important that we recognise that menopause is not just about the woman going through that stage of her life. There is a massive ripple effect. Um, a few years ago now, pre-lockdown, I was asked to do a live radio uh, interview on Radio 5 Live, which is a very male-dominated radio station. Uh, and I'm ashamed to say that even I questioned whether or not that should that that was a, you know, an appropriate thing to do. It was an hour long, I think, and Nicky Campbell said to me at the time, he's never had such a busy phoning with men asking questions about you know, wanting to understand more, wanting to understand what they're wives and partners were going through, or my mums, the work colleagues. So actually, I think we need to recognise that this is something that affects all of us in one way or another. Um, and so I hope that we'll be able to do some good today and answer lots of questions. Thank you, Dr. Dawn. And I think that's a really key point. You know, whilst we're discussing menopause today, it can affect the whole family, the workplace, absolutely everything. But I want to strip it back because you said facts and figures are really important. Can we start with the basics, please? So, I mean, chats that I have with my friends is, you know, when should you start seeking guidance on menopause? And are there any specific triggers? Okay. Well, let's let's go, go right back then. So, strictly 
speaking, menopause is actually a retrospective diagnosis. So we say that a woman is menopausal. So you think about it, meno, periods, pause, stop. So strictly speaking, you are only menopausal a year after your last natural period. But actually, we use the term menopause when what we really mean is perimenopause, the symptoms that we experience around that time of our lives. And I, just like I mentioned the little black dress, actually, for me, you should be coming and having this conversation if, if you are finding that your quality of life is affected. We all have different tolerance levels. We all have different expectations of life. Um, and we all have um, different expectations of us. So actually, if you are somebody, for example, who works from home and you can have the window open, closed, open, closed, <laughs> and you've got nobody else to think about, then maybe suffering with hot flashes doesn't have such an impact on your quality of life as if you're working in an open plan office and you've got lots of other people to consider. So I think it's about the moment you feel that you need some, you're struggling and you need some help, please make the appointment. And what I would say is usually by the time, and I'm probably quite well known in our surgery as somebody who does a lot of work with, with menopausal women, but even coming to see me, honestly, by the time people have come through my door, quite often it's not weeks, it's months that people have been struggling and they really want help yesterday. So uh, if, if, you're, if you're struggling, come sooner rather than later. Brilliant. Thank you. And Vanessa, I'm going to change something um, to, to bring in the financial position. So obviously we say menopause is only now just really being openly discussed as a topic. But actually the same could be true of finances. You know, as a family, menopause can impact the family um, just the same as, as, you know, finances can impact the family. And I don't think it's something that is openly discussed, finances within the family either, um, or in general. So what steps can we take to change talking more about the finances and making, more, uh, making it more commonplace to discuss finances in an open way, just as we're trying to do with discussing menopause in a more of an open way? I think you're absolutely right, Helen. I, I think uh, the UK is notoriously bad about talking about finances. It's seen as a, a bit crass to, to openly discuss uh, money and the topics around money. But I think something as simple as, you know, having a webinar like this, you know, bringing it to more people's attention is incredibly important and, and actually sharing it with, with family and, and friends. Um, I think as well, it goes back to Dr. Dawn's Point, that it's not just women that need to understand uh, the menopause uh, in the same way it's not just women that need to understand their finances. Um, there was actually a very interesting BBC report that came out last week that found that only 17% of the UK population were financially literate. So I think education is a hugely important part about that in terms of uh, financial literacy and starting that from a very young school age, for example, which will help in the long run. Um, but I also think it's that sort of recognition of a lack of understanding. So being open and honest with yourself um, that you don't understand as much as you would like. And then it's sort of coming out, reaching out to those individuals that might be able to help increase your understanding. Because I think finances touches every single part of a, an individual's life. Um, so we can talk about the financial impact, but also, you know, 
certainly when it comes to the menopause, for example, it can have a huge emotional impact that can have financial consequences. And there's actually a really interesting piece that came out earlier this year from the Family Law Menopause Project that actually found that seven out of 10 women in the UK blame the menopause for their divorce. So it's these sorts of consequences that mount up. Um, and if we're able to give uh, women and, and broader families a better understanding of finances and the impact potentially the menopause can have on those finances, then it means women and their families can be better prepared to openly discuss these things and ultimately give women and their families more choice. Thank you very much. And talking about openly discussing things, Dr. Dawn, can I come back to you, please? You know, Vanessa's mentioned about we should be openly discussing our finances within our family. But how important is it that we understand for our own experiences what our mother's menopause experience was actually like? Actually, that's a really good point. Uh, so when we start our periods, it doesn't really have much to do with our genetics. In fact, it's more linked to body weight. So it's almost like nature knows when you've got enough about you to, to sustain a growing baby. Uh, and that's why we're getting bigger and that's why girls are starting their periods younger. But when we go through the menopause, does have some kind of genetic link. And it's not absolute, but it is worth having that conversation uh, because if your mum went through an early menopause, so we say anything between the average age in the UK is 50, 51. But anything between 45 and 55 is a normal range, age range for menopause. If your mum goes through a menopause early, then there is an increased likelihood that you might. It's not absolute, but you might, and you might go even earlier. Um, I'll tell you a story about uh, a lady I met many, many years ago who was trying for family and had a uh, periods had stopped and we did some blood tests. She was 28 and we discovered that she had actually gone through the menopause. And when we delved into her history, every female relative in her family had gone through an early menopause and nobody had told those women to inform the other women in their family. Um, and sadly, this was a long time ago. It was before IVF was available on the NHS, she didn't have the financial wherewithal. And she said to me very openly, she doesn't know, she was a career girl, she said she didn't know whether knowing what she now knows would have changed her career path, whether she'd have considered starting a family earlier, but she did wonder. Um, so I would urge everybody to find out about your family. And if you as a lady go through an early menopause, please do tell your daughters just so that they've got the facts. Thank you very much. And I think also there's um, generational issues that come in as well, because I remember that mum never talked to me about menopause. Uh, so if we're encouraging the next generation to actually be talking about menopause, I think that's a really key point that you share it with your daughters and share it with your, yes. your sons as well and the whole family. Yes. So right. I remember going to a school reunion a few years ago now, um, and I went to stay with one of my girlfriends who still lives, I was brought up in Bath and she still lives there. So I was staying with her overnight and she came to the door. She looked absolutely fabulous and she had various different layers on. And I said, you look great, Kathy. And she said, uh, oh, she's, it's all about the layers of our time in life, isn't it? And I thought at the time, gosh, I don't think my mum would have had that conversation with her girlfriends. So we are better. We've got some way to go, but yeah, we are better. 
which is great to hear. Now, you mentioned something when you were relating to to the lady that had come to see you in um, early menopause about blood tests. And one thing that I think the lay person's also always been told, you know, get your hormone levels checked um, because that's a way of finding out if you're menopausal. However, I've heard so many times that actually doctors will turn around and say, no, we're not going to do a blood test. Um, Is this something we should be insisting on? Okay, so actually in my local laboratory, between those ages that I just mentioned, 45 to 55, that my lab will not process um, the hormone blood test that we uh, ask for to confirm menopause. And that is because if you have menopausal symptoms in your between those ages, quite frankly, irrespective of what the blood test comes back at, it's not going to change the way we decide what to do for you. And that's because if you think about it, we as ladies get symptoms with changing hormones. So we get premenstrual tension, we get postnatal depression, we get perimenopausal symptoms. And that's because our, our hormones are all over the place. So actually, I could take a blood test from a perimenopausal woman every day for a week, and I could get seven different results because it will be doing this all over the place. Uh, And it it depends at what point you you take that blood test. So it may feel frustrating that you want your hormones checked. um, And if your GP says, no, it's not that they're being belligerent and unhelpful, it's almost certainly that the laboratory won't process it. Um, But also that actually, even if that comes normal, it could be sort of partway between a a slump down and and a peak high, and it doesn't affect the way we manage things. The laboratory will do blood tests on younger women uh, because, of course, there are other things that we need to look into. And so if you're under 45, they will do some blood tests. But most labs, I think, it's fair to say, would not consist them. That's really interesting. And thank you very much for explaining that. Now, before I get on to the next question, I'm going to encourage the audience, if you do have any questions for for Dr. Dawn or for Vanessa, please do put them on the Q&A as we're going through. Now, I'm just uh, the reason I've said this now is because I'm just about to get into a topic which I'm sure people will have questions on. So we can't talk about menopause without mentioning and discussing HRT. Um, so I'm going to ask you a number of questions in one, if that's okay. Um, first of all, what is it? We've all heard of the term HRT, but actually, what is it? Um, are there different types, and you know which one is the most suitable? And actually, is this the only form of treatment for menopause? So. Lots of questions. Um, I'm going to throw it over to you. If you forget any, I'll come back and ask you them. So over to you, Dr. Dawn. Well, there's a lot in, in those uh, those questions. So HRT is hormone replacement therapy. It is literally what it says on the tin. Um, and so it is replacing the hormones that our ovaries have stopped producing. There are something like 70 different forms of HRT. Uh, so we're back to my little black breast territory really. Uh, So there are certain types that, for example, if you still have a wound, what we need to give you for menopausal symptoms is replace your oestrogen. It's the oestrogen, the lack of oestrogen that we struggle with. But if you have unopposed oestrogen, so oestrogen on its own, if you still have a wound, that would give you a very slight increased risk of uh, wound cancer over a period of time. So we have to give the progesterone as well to protect the lining of the womb. So straight away, the first decision is, do you have a womb or not? 
then we look into your uh, medical history and your family history. So if you've got a very strong history of breast cancer at a young age, for example, then maybe hormonal HRT is not um, the best view. But it's not HRT or nothing. There are lots of different options available to us. So I think even if you feel you can't uh, have HRT, then it's definitely worth having to have a conversation. Um, so yeah, so really, it's and it's then about working out which, if you are going to have HRT, which form you want, and that's often again a personal choice. Would you prefer to take tablets or a patch? Would you prefer to use a gel? So there's lots of different options open to us, and it's it's basically an evolving decision between you and your doctor. Brilliant. So lots of choices. And again, the important thing is speak to your doctor. Um, Vanessa, I'm going to bring you in with um, something that Dr. John just talked about uh, and mentioned previously, the little black dress analogy when it comes to, you know, menopause, HRT solutions and how it works differently for each individual women. Um, how does that read through approach take into account also of the little black dress when you're talking to female clients discussing their financials and their investments? Yeah, I, I absolutely love this analogy. So when Dr. Dawn first said this, I thought it, it's perfect because actually at its core, the, the black in the little black dress can work for all women. And in a sense, that's just like investments. But like that little black dress, what suits one woman will not suit another. So for example, some women might want a more flamboyant off the shoulder number, for example. And in a weird sort of way, that can be akin to um, women wanting higher risk investments, which can work well for a, a period of time, for example, when they're younger. Um, others will perhaps want to take a more conservative approach to their little black dress, um, particularly as they get older. And this is no different from that more conservative approach that we take in terms of portfolios. So lower risk assets that we include within portfolios for women that are a little bit older and maybe want a little bit more certainty around what returns they're going to get, but also just a bit more comfort in terms of, of what they anticipate will happen in, in the future. So with all of these things, the key is to tailoring it to the individual and making sure that whatever little black dress they choose, it works for them at the stage of their life that they're currently in. So in a sense, just like you would seek out the help of a professional stylist to find what works for you in terms of your outfit, an investment manager is that stylist. They can talk to you about your investment options and provide you with a, a selection of little black dresses that could work for you in your own unique circumstances. Brilliant. So I think that the message that's coming through here, whether it's menopause, whether it's finances and both interlink, it's talking to your professionals and having your, your professional team on board that can support you and help you with, with lots of difficult decisions that need to be made. Absolutely. So, Dr. Dorn, I'm gonna, thank you. I'm going to come back to you for a minute um, because, you know, life is tough out there at the moment and there's a lot of what I would call mental health anxiety and forgive me if that's not the correct term but there are so many factors that can cause that these days with you know social media the cost of living crisis busy work life juggling kids financial pressures you know just to name a few but all of that, as I say, can also cause mental health anxiety so how do we know whether it's menopause or I'm going to say simply, that's probably doing it a disservice, but simply life. 
you're so right. Uh, so I think it'd be fair to say that I am back to the stage of every surgery I do, I see a perimenopausal woman. And sadly, I'm afraid every surgery I do, I definitely see people suffering with stress and anxiety. And, and particularly, I think at the moment, life is tough. Uh, so really, it's this is where um, I think general practice is as much an art as it is a science, actually. So what we do is we I sit down with my ladies and we talk about the symptoms they're experiencing. And then if I have somebody who, for example, um, is has purely uh, anxiety and stress-related symptoms, none of the other symptoms associated with the menopause, um, and they have a lot of reasons going on, the sorts of things that you've just mentioned, you know, the financial stress, the juggling families, often around about the time of the perimenopause in our generation, we might be uh, responsible for ailing parents as well as teenage early 20s children. And so there are, if, if we're looking at that, then maybe we'll look at primarily at a mental health issue. Uh, but equally, uh, as we've said, that you know, anxiety, stress, depression, all those sorts of things, mood swings, uh, a lack of confidence, brain fog, all those sorts of symptoms are very much part of the menopause. So it's we're back in, <laughs> this little black dress is going to get a lot of mentions today, I can see, but we are back in little black dress territory and we are just trying to work out you know, what's the best option for each individual. Brilliant. And brain fog is something I could definitely connect with, having put my washing machine on loads of times without the washing in it. So that's uh, always a good one. Um, Vanessa, I want to come over to yourself, if that's uh, if that's OK, because there is also a link between um, perimenopause, menopause, women in the workplace. You know, now we've got demographically more women in the workplace at perimenopausal and menopausal age than ever before because society has shifted. But what that means is that, you know, we've heard from Dr. Dawn about some of the health aspects and certainly the anxiety that can come with that and the depression, um, but it's also affecting us in the workplace. So I know that there are various statistics out there that say women are, you know, possibly retiring early, reducing hours, not going for that promotion. So what financial considerations should be made? Because these are big decisions that can not just affect that individual but can actually affect the whole family so what financial you know considerations should they be looking at before making these decisions um, during perimenopause or menopause and I think this is it, it goes back to that initial point a lot of people will see us doing a webinar on the menopause and think oh that's just for women but actually it has that wider implication and I think this is where again it comes back to understanding the choices that are available to you. So coming to a financial planner, for example, or an investment manager can basically give you a, a sense of the implications of whatever decision is reached. So it can work out different scenarios and the financial impact that that can have on you as an individual, on your wider family. And it can just help provide a bit more clarity when women are really struggling to make choices when it comes to things like retirement or reducing their hours or not going for that promotion. You know, you've both sort of explained how confusing it can be and, and how, you know, putting the washing machine on with no washing in. You know, if you can go to someone, talk to them about the choices that you have in front of you and they get definitive answers about what the financial implications of each of those choices are, 
then you can make that informed choice because this will impact the family. You know, I work with many couples and family groups. And so you often have to have that level of flexibility and adapting your life plans, um, both from a financial and investment perspective. So it's being able to work through those consequences of any decisions that are made so that you can understand the implications for both yourself, the wider family, and that will actually help you not only financially, but also from a health and well-being perspective, particularly given the, the current climate that we find ourselves in. Thanks, Vanessa. I think there's some uh, very wise words in there. So, Dr. Dawn, um, obviously we're, we're talking about the workplace here. Um, and whilst we're being quite open in talking about menopause at the moment, the workplace isn't necessarily somewhere that people do feel open about talking about their experiences of menopause. So, unfortunately, what has been reported is that women are giving other excuses for those days where it's just too much. So how honest are people being, in your opinion, um, in telling their employer that it is the impact that the impact of menopause that is also impacting on their ability to do their day job? And it's not that suddenly they're performing badly in the workplace, but it is a medical situation. So are people talking to you about that? Uh, yes, uh, I would probably say not enough. Uh, I think there is always a fear of being seen as that hormonal woman. Um, you know, uh, we are definitely better. Uh, but, and I've recently, in recent years, actually, I have done webinars like this uh, for various big companies wanting to really bring menopause into the mainstream chat. And I think that's a really good thing. And that does then give you a green light, if you like, to be honest about why you're struggling. And sometimes it can be really simple things that can make a huge difference to your working environment. So if you're really struggling with hot flashes and somebody will put you by a doorway or by a window that you can open or give you a fan on your desk, then actually that's a really simple thing to do for somebody that can make a huge difference. Uh, so I think we are better um, at talking about this in the, in the workplace, but we've still got some some way to go. Uh, and I would say all of us will work with various different colleagues and you may find that there is one person in particular that perhaps you feel you can be more open with. Uh, and if that's not your direct boss, but maybe a colleague who can help you communicate how you're feeling, I really would encourage people to be having those conversations because a lovely friend of mine once said to me, you can't blame anyone for not knowing. Uh, and, and of course, if you don't tell people, they're not going to accommodate you. They're not going to try to help you. Chances are your boss might be a man who's married to a perimenopausal woman or living with a perimenopausal woman. It might be a younger person who's got a perimenopausal bum. So actually, they will have hopefully some experience. And I think the more we can be open, the, the more we can improve the workplace for, as I've said, you know, Perimenopausal and postmenopausal women are the fast working women are the fastest growing demographic in the UK today. So there's a lot of us, and we need to look after each other and look after ourselves. And, and I think that's really important. Take a big deep breath and just be brave about it. I think is the is the message that's coming through loud and clear. So, um, Vanessa, Dr. Dawn just discussed, um, you know, HRT as as a potential help with menopause or one of the potential things that can help menopause. But from a financial position, is there? Um, I'm going to call it something like a, a financial HRT that we should be doing. 
<laughs> it's it's a, it's a good it's a good analogy, and, and actually, it almost goes back to what Dr. Dawn said about um, investment management and financial planning. It is just as much an art as it is a, a science. Um, but I think this is where certainly Quilt Achieviat have really looked at this as an issue for women, and we've actually um, put forward what we call the the M plan. So really, it, it's very much taking into account all the areas that we have discussed here today. But ultimately, it's about giving women choice, control, and ultimately comfort. So when we're talking about giving women choice, um, you know, Dr. Dawn's given a, a few examples about, you know, women who are very much in control of their careers, um, you know, that their personal lives suddenly going through a period where they're really badly affected by the menopause and can't even make really simple decisions. So again, it goes back to that idea of just as you would go to talk to your doctor about what you are experiencing, go to a professional financial advisor or investment manager, because this actually gives you a choice of options that could work for you as an individual. And I think once you actually have those choices placed in front of you, it allows women to feel like they're taking back control, which they might have previously felt that they've lost. So having a, a plan in place, but also having someone to oversee that plan so that you don't have to manage it day to day means that you can concentrate both on yourselves and also your wider family, which is very important. And then finally, it, it allows women to feel comfortable with their finances and the future and moving forward. Um, so this allows them to have a structure in place that will work for them so that that financial worry is actually taken away. So the M plan is very much about choice, control and comfort. Very nice. I like that choice, control and comfort. So Dr. Dawn, Vanessa's just spoken about the M plan, which you know does impact any financial decision you make, it will impact on the family. Um, and it was something that, that um, when we were doing this briefing call, um, one of our colleagues raised, it would be wrong of us to actually think that menopause only affects women, as you, we've quite clearly discussed. So how can people go about supporting everyone? So supporting your partner, supporting your mum or a colleague. How do we do that when, you know, again, it comes back to this is a new topic that we are discussing openly. It's not a new condition, mm. but it's something that we are only just at the infancy of discussing. I think knowledge is key. Uh, so I, as I mentioned when I did that um, radio phone-in day on Radio 5 Live, it was, it was virtually all men that were phoning in. Um, and I do occasionally see a man booked into surgery or booked into a phone call with me wanting to ask me. And I think that's great. I really embrace that if somebody comes in wanting to talk about their mum with their partner or their wife, just saying, I just need to understand what's going on and how long, how long is this going on? You know, so often I hear, there was one poor chap at the um, radio interview who was clearly under the influence of alcohol very early in the day, uh, and he had just turned to drink. And he, I remember him saying to me, I, I just don't recognise my wife, I've tried on eggshells. Uh, and so clearly menopause was having a massive impact on that whole household. Uh, so I think it's really important that we, we as women, have a responsibility, I think, to make sure that we talk to our family. And I would include sons and daughters in that. Um, it's not just about talking to our uh, girlfriends. It's about talking to members of our household 
and especially for men who may have no concept of how you feel with fluctuating hormones. Uh, so actually just trying to to voice that um, and to explain how you feel, I think will really go a long way to helping people know how to manage this as a household, as a working unit, as a group of friends, whatever it may be, because that ripple effect is very significant. I've heard you talk as well about um, keeping a diary of how you're feeling and, you know, that can also help with conversation. I love diaries, <laughs> whether, it's, <laughs> whether it's menopause, whether it's hormones, whether it's irritable bowel, migraine. We all lead incredibly busy lives. And, if we, and I'm not talking about writing great missives, but just jotting down how you feel um, and seeing it. Actually, sometimes it can be so glaringly obvious what's going on once you see it down on paper. Uh, slightly off subject, but I worked with an amazing migraine specialist uh, years ago, and his interest in migraine was because he suffered. And he had these sporadic migraines that he just couldn't get a handle on. And he used to, he talked about diaries. Anyway, he kept a diary, and when it was written down, he realised his migraines always happened on a Wednesday. And on a Wednesday, he had a crazy busy day. He would eat on the hoof. He'd be mainlining caffeine all day. Uh, really stressful. Get home, slump in a in an armchair with a big glass of red wine to unwind. And he said to me, you know, all I needed was a few hormones chucked in there. I had a full house. But it wasn't <laughs> until it was written down. Uh, so I love it when my patients drop things down for me and bring them in because then we can see things clearly and work out a solution together. Brilliant. And I suppose also jotting it down, it's a, an easy thing, easier thing to share because sometimes it's quite hard to voice to our partners how we're feeling. But if you've kept that record, it might be not, not just partners. Um, it could be something you take into the workplace to share. So it just makes it probably taking it away from the emotion and makes it a little bit more factual. Um, and possibly Absolutely. opening up those easier conversations. Absolutely. And very frequently people will come in to see me in surgery, uh, whether it's menopause or something else, having jotted a few thoughts down because they don't want to miss anything out. They don't want to, they want to make the most of their time. But it is also actually, I think it does kind of open the door easier for you to, to be able to have these conversations. And I've had patients before now who've written to their partners just in a quiet, calm moment, not when they're feeling really uptight, just written a letter just to sort of say, can we talk about this? This is how I'm feeling and, and it's and it's horrible, but can we, can we try and solve this together? And I think that's really a positive way to go forward. That's great. That's great. Vanessa, I'm going to come back to you if that's okay. Um, so we're talking about menopause, which I'm going to say typically because we've touched on early menopause, is, is around the time where we're thinking about retirement. Um, but from a financial position, I've read lots recently where um, the female, due to the, the female journey through through the financials, um, can be impacted at, even before they get to retirement. What, what are those things on the way through that we should be aware of and what can we do about them? I think, again, it goes back to an, an understanding of the, the sorts of hurdles that women need to go through throughout their lives 
So for for different women, it's going to be different things. You know, working in a, a lowing pay, a lower pay sector, for example, can impact the long term savings capability for for women. Um, having children can have a, a hugely detrimental impact on women in particular because they tend to work in lower paying sectors. Um, but also, there is that sort of automatic assumption that women will stay at home and look after children. Um, on the flip side of that. Many families simply can't afford to have both parents working because the costs of uh, nursery care can be so incredibly high. So from an early perspective, there are a lot of hurdles that women need to to basically get over to try and put themselves in a more secure financial position later on in life. And then at sort of the other end of the spectrum, when you're coming up to retirement, when you might be at the peak of your earning potential, um, the menopause can hit, but also caring responsibilities for for elderly relatives. So there's lots of different hurdles that women will encounter. And I think it's having an understanding of the sorts of um, barriers to saving to retirement or building up that nest egg that, that you may feel provides you with that financial security. If you know what's further down the line, and again, if professionals can understand what women are actually going through during their female financial journey, it can help them better create a plan that's adaptable and flexible. And it's these sorts of things that we need to get across to not only women, but also men, because when we're talking about this, again, it goes back to the wider family implications and making sure that we are talking about money in an open and honest way. So we can't control nature, but we can control finances is what you're, what you're saying there. Brilliant. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. So, Dr. Dawn, there's something I've always wanted to ask a medical profession, if that's okay. Um, obviously, having the courage to speak to a doctor or anybody about menopause is a big thing. But often, if I ring up my surgery to book an appointment, the first person I'm going to speak to is the receptionist. And I always get the impression that they want to know everything that I want to go and speak to the doctor about because they always ask, why do I want the appointment? Um, and I can imagine that lots of different reasons are given other, other than people saying, I want to discuss menopause, because sometimes it's a big thing for us to voice it ourselves. But how important is it that we actually, when that receptionist is saying, and why do you want to see the doctor, that we do state it is menopause? Right. Actually, I'm really glad you brought this one up because I do understand um, our receptionists, we are we train them to ask what the problem is. Uh, and that's not because we want them to be lazy. <laughs> um, and it's important that everybody knows that they are actually bound by the same rules of confidentiality as the clinicians. So they cannot be at the local shop or in the pub or the coffee shop uh, and talk about Mrs X has got a problem with whatever, it's just that is more than their job is worth. So you'd be absolutely out of the area. The reason we like them to ask and the reason they do ask is that we have lots of different options available now. We, we sort of evolved very quickly through the pandemic. So we now do video consultations, telephone calls much more often. We are, contrary to uh, popular belief, doing more face-to-face consultations than pre-pandemic now. So we've got all of that, but we've also got nurses, physios, uh, mental health staff. So we've got a lot of different staff working in a GP surgery. And what they are doing by asking that question is trying to help you get the most efficient journey through the practice by seeing the most appropriate person first. And so, for example, if, 
if you had a problem with a sports injury, then I have one of my partners who's very good at sports medicine, has an extra qualification in it. And it would be much more useful for you probably to see him than to perhaps come and see me. And certainly if a lady is honest and says she has a menopausal problem, then I know my receptionist will channel that person towards me, even if perhaps they see, let's say maybe they're diabetic or they have asthma and they always see the same doctor. You would naturally just book in to see that doctor, but it might be that it's more appropriate for you to see somebody else in the practice for a menopausal problem. So I would say, please don't be affronted when they ask you, please be honest because they will help you to see the most appropriate person. Thank you very much. So hopefully that's changed our perception of why the receptionist is actually asking the question. So that's everything I'm going to ask you today. But now I'm going to come to the, the questions from our audience, which I knew we would get in today. So I'm going to start by one that came in very early on when you were talking about HRT, Dr. Dawn. Um, it's basically asking, I've been told that I can't take HRT, but can I opt to take it myself knowing the risk? And if this is possible, how do I go about doing so? So apart from uh, oestrogen that you can use in the vagina for vaginal dryness associated with menopause, HRT is only available on prescription. So you would have to find a GP. I mean, this is another reason for going to see somebody with that specialist knowledge. Um, so it's difficult without knowing exact, the exact um, circumstances, but I think it would be well worth this person either speaking to the receptionist and saying who's the best person in the practice to discuss menopause or asking for a second opinion through the hospital. So we do have specialist menopause clinics and I think it's it would be important to really drill down and look at why you've been told that you shouldn't have it. And it may be that when you go to see a specialist, they would say, well, do you know, there is a risk, uh, but this is it. And if it's a risk you're prepared to take, then we're prepared to prescribe and often you'll find then if a prescription was issued out of a hospital then GPs are happier to continue that prescription. Brilliant thank you very much. So Vanessa question for yourself uh, we've got a question that says I am going through menopause um, but I've never taken an interest in my finances. How do I start doing that? I think it's it's simple steps. Um, sometimes it can be talking with colleagues and friends in terms of maybe what options they've undertaken. But I think, again, you know, just reaching out to um, professional contacts. So, for example, Quilt Achievement, we have got our Advising Female Clients Initiative. So we are looking at in-depth um, issues that women do experience. And it doesn't cost anything to come and talk to us about that and go, do you know what? I, I need to understand what my options are. I need to make some sort of decision in terms of what course of action I'm going to take and what the financial implications are. So it's very much just reaching out to those professionals. So going back to what Dr. Dawn said about, um, you know, her her colleague within the uh, GP practice who's more of a sports specialist. Again, it, it's reaching out to a financial specialist, uh, an investment specialist, and saying, what are my options now based on the current set of circumstances, but also the course of action that I'd like to take? Thank you very much. So, Dr. Dawn, we have another question for you. And actually, this is probably a question that a lot of people ask. So, how long will 
should the menopause last. Um, our particular um, person who's given us a question here says she had a hysterectomy at 40 nearly 10 years ago, been on HRT since then and antidepressants, but still getting hot flushes, anxiety, fatigue, possibly looking to reduce the hours of work, which will have an impact on our family finances and my pension contributions, low mood, etc. Is there anything else I can do or take? Yes, definitely. <laughs> um, so first of all, um, an important one here, actually, interestingly, if you have a hysterectomy, even if you leave your ovaries in place, it's almost as though nature knows that there's no point in carrying on producing hormones because you can't have a baby. And actually, we do tend to see that women go through menopause earlier, even if the ovaries are left in place. Obviously, if you take your ovaries away, we plunge you straight into the the other thing to say about this is that all the risks that we talk about with HRT are cumulative. So it's the, the longer your exposure to the hormones, the greater the risk. So what we say is the clock doesn't really start ticking until 50. So for this particular lady, HRT was actually just replacing what nature would have intended you to have until about the age of 50. Um, but that said, I suspect Quite possibly this person has been on the same form of HRT for all that time. And as we started right at the top of today's webinar discussing that there are over 70 forms of HRT, it's probably worth going back to have that conversation. I would say please don't make any rash decisions. Um, my guess is this person has been struggling for some time, which is why they're thinking of reducing their hours at work. But as we've said and as Vanessa has highlighted, you know, that has all sorts of ramifications. Um, which would also potentially impact your mental health. So I think please go and have another conversation. It may be that we need to increase your dose of HRT or change your HRT. And it may be that we need to think differently about whatever antidepressant that you're on and that we need to increase that dose or change that. So there will be lots of options. Uh, there are things like CBT, cognitive behavioural therapy that we can get in the NHS. So please make that appointment. Jot down all the questions, make little bullet points back to the sort of diary thing. Um, so that the doctor that you see doesn't need to go back through your file over 10 years, but you can actually give them all the information that they need bullet, in a bullet point form and have that conversation. Brilliant. So documenting your experience again is, as you say, it's, it's really key to work these things out. So Vanessa, we've got um, a question again on finances. Um, Somebody who's saying that we uh, they're in their early 50s, they want to reduce their hours, but can't work out how for the longer term that is going to impact financially. How do they work that out? I think for this, this would be more a question for a financial planning expert to take a look at, because what they are able to do is uh, use what's called a cash flow model. So if you are able to understand your current position, but also what your likely pay will be on reduced hours, then a financial planner would be able to input all of that information into a cash flow model and be able to show the, the financial impact of, of actually those reduced hours in terms of pay, what contributions you may be able to make into your pension following on from the reduced levels of pay. I think as well, um, we, we sometimes can tend to look at um, an individual's financial circumstances in isolation. So, you know, if you are working and you're looking at reducing your hours, 
if you have a partner or, or you know, a, a cohabitee, for example, um, where you are sharing finances, it could well be just as important to bring them into the conversation and look at it from a holistic perspective. Um, because ultimately, there are shared finances and actually having a shared financial plan can be extremely beneficial in terms of making a more secure future for, for both yourself, but potentially wider family as well. Thank you very much. So, Dr. Dawn, here's a question that I know my friends have asked before, uh, so I'm going to be really interested in the answer here. Um, I don't have periods as I have a coil. Would I need to have this removed to understand if I'm going through perimenopause or menopause? Okay, so before I do that, I just want to go back. I realised that I didn't answer the first part of the last question is how long will <laughs> uh, the menopause last? And actually, that is a little bit of crystal ball territory. Uh, I have a lot of ladies who say to me, well, look, you know, I can put up with this if it's another few months, but if it's another few years, I need to do something about it. And of course, we don't know. Uh, for some women, it lasts literally a few months, and for many, it lasts several years. I think on average, we say around seven years. So that's that question. Um, so uh, the coil that you're referring to would be the intrauterine system, the common ones that we call the marina. And what that does is it secretes tiny amounts of progestogen into the room lining. The amount that you get in your body is about the same as two mini pills per week. So it's a tiny amount of hormone and it works directly on the lining of the room rather than on the feedback axis between the brain and the ovaries. So you wouldn't necessarily need to have that removed in order to see where, where you're at, but we go back to the fact that if you are, um, if you think you might be perimenopausal and you are between the ages of 45 and 55, the NHS probably wouldn't do a blood test. But the good news is that if you have a hormone calling, I mentioned earlier that if we give you unopposed oestrogen, just oestrogen on its own, there's a slight increased risk of wound cancer. If you have a hormone coiling, you can actually use that as the progestogen component of your HRT, if you, if you opt to take HRT, and then you only need estrogen. And that, that could be in the form of uh, a gel, for example, rather than needing to take a tablet. Brilliant. Thank you. So lots of information in there. So I've got one final question for today. So again, a question for Dr. Dawn. Um, we have somebody who's saying, I am 51 and have slight symptoms of perimenopause, but nothing as disruptive as I've read about. Um, am I waiting for a train of symptoms to hit? Um, I remember my mum having hot sweats, but unfortunately she died at 52. So I don't really have a baseline on what is usual in my family. Very good question well, to ask. Sorry, gosh, very young to lose um, your mum. I'm sorry about that. Um, we are back, I'm afraid, in crystal ball territory. Uh, but uh, we know that one in four ladies, so 25% of women, will get no perimenopausal symptoms other than they just stop their periods. You may well be one of those lucky women who is going to get away relatively likely. Of course, the horrible stories and the women that are really struggling are the ones that stick in our minds. But there are lots of ladies who don't have a terrible time. I was relatively lucky through my menopause. So I'm going, I'm not a betting girl, but if I was, you're 51, you've got those mild symptoms. Um, I would hope that you're going to be one of the lucky ones and that that train won't be hurtling around the corner at you. That sounds like the fingers crossed time. <laughs> 
So thank you both very much um, for everything that you've talked through today. You've probably seen me um, scribbling on bits of paper as I've been going because there's been some really good words that I've been picking up. So know your facts is one of the things. Education, have those open and honest conversations and document things. I think that's a really key part, part that I've not thought about before. And when it comes to your financial position, have that choice, have that control and have that comfort. So I think there's a lot of good words that having a foggy head, I wanted to write down as we were going to make sure that we, we didn't miss. So thank you so much for, for the discussion today. I found it really interesting and hopefully our, our audience has too. But before I let you off the hook that lightly, um, I'd like to finally ask you for, uh, for your top tip or your, your top takeaways or action points for our audience today. So Dr.